You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. But what about those small business masterminds who succeed at making their money work harder? They do that by having a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, which now earns 5% annual percentage yield. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. The enemy we have to face down is inflation. You can't overstate how much a short-term mindset dominates Westminster. The cost of living crisis is not going away. It's very real for people. We've got to focus very much on the things that will really bring back growth. The UK has certainly been a very strong supporter of Ukraine from the outset. We have to stay the course to make sure inflation falls all the way back to the 2% target. You're listening to Bloomberg UK Politics. I'm Lizzie Burden. And I'm Stephen Carroll. Who'd be a central banker, eh, Lizzie? Not I mean, me. If you want to look at the front page of the newspapers today, it's not often that you see uh, the Bank of England and particularly Andrew Bailey featuring on so many front pages. The Times headline, mortgage misery for millions. The Daily Mail, I wouldn't trust this governor to look after my push bike. Uh, the FT was saying the Bank of England's credibility is still on the, ni- still on the line. Uh, the Daily Mirror, rate rise nightmare. Look, it's having headlines like that obviously put a lot of focus on what the Bank of England is doing, but there are bigger questions around this as well. Not just that, though. It's a lot of focus on the governor, Andrew Bailey. And as we're going to hear later in the show, you and I have been speaking to Andrew Sentence, the former arch hawk of the Bank of England's Monetary Policy Committee. And he said it's the entire MPC that needs to take a look at their record and whether they've been taking inflation seriously enough. Yeah, I mean, look, it's a lot of criticism of the bank, but is it just doing its job? Well, let's bring in our senior UK economy reporter, Philip Aldrich, for more on this. Phil, you wrote yesterday that the, finally the BOE has found the courage to state the obvious in that it's prepared to trigger a recession, that this is how monetary policy works, after all. So is, is it unfair, the criticism that the Bank of England and Andrew Bailey are getting? I think you, you should break it into uh, two pieces. In terms of the credibility hit uh, from earlier, from the slow uh, increase in rates at the start of the inflation shock, um, that, you know, you can definitely say that that deserves criticism now. I mean, with, with hindsight, it definitely looks like they should have gone a lot faster. Um, the, uh, the fact that they may now, like, push rates so far that it triggers a recession, provokes a recession. Um, again, that that could be a consequence of the earlier failures. But this this sort of action now does seem to be the sort of decisive action that that, that was lacking and, and is needed. So um, I, 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 it, it's one of those ones where you'd have to you you'd say that the criticism really relates to past actions. And this action itself was is um, possibly a consequence of those failures, but it's it's not bad in itself. Yeah, but you can't front load at the back end. I'm wondering about as well the communications around this. You heard Andrew Bailey yesterday repeating the line that Brits need to 
be restrained in their wage bargaining. That's the same line that he and the chief economist have had to apologise for before. What are they doing saying it again? I know the, the communications around this has been painful. Um, the When Hugh Pill said that people were going to have to accept that they're poorer, um, he was saying the simple fact that that is what um, the Bank of England is, is is doing is trying to make people and businesses poorer so that the demand in the economy is is reduced so so that the pricing pressures come down that's the one they have one tool they have one job and that's how it operates um and uh, and so the fact that they apologize they could have said he was clumsy in his expression but basically what Hugh Pill said is correct that's what the governor should have said what he what he said his point was correct we have to do this this is how this is what we what we're doing and and inflation is our number one priority as we always stress instead he apologized and he apologized for saying something similar himself and it just makes it look like the the bank is you know is worried about public per, per, perception to the point where they it will sort of neutralize its own policy potentially if it gets if it makes people upset i mean that's they just got to you know, tell people that's that's the, the the hard truth. Well, I suppose how hard is the hard truth when we think about the the data that we've had? I mean, obviously the inflation number we've talked about extensively and and how fast that is. But what other signs are there out there that sort of back up Andrew Bailey's argument? Well, the strength of the economy is is you know as he pointed as he said himself this the economy is is resilient. They all the forecasters have removed the recession just in time for it probably to be put back in but the forecast of recession the IMF the OECD the Bank of England everybody's everybody's taken that forecast out because the underlying strength of the consumer has been very good because you know we've got um you know strong employment we've confidence figures today have been very strong i mean that is you know effectively if your job is to squeeze the economy and what's happening is the economy seems to be chuntering along you know at the sort of rather lackluster pace that it was before but still you know largely seemingly unaffected they're going to have to move harder and and so they've got to Im- impose more pain the, the problem with the interest rate hikes is that they affect large large the big one of the big uh, groups that affects them are mortgage borrowers and and mortgage borrowers account for um you know less than a third but just over a quarter of the um of the housing market of households uh, because so many uh, people own their properties outright and others are on rents um and uh, and of the of that quarter a large proportion have fixed rates so the effect is basically being targeted at quite a small group of people and those small group of people are going to feel it really intensely it's going to be pretty miserable for them but um you know it may not have quite the dramatic effect on uh on on squeezing the economy uh, and squeezing out prices that it would have done you know, 15 years ago when far fewer households were on fixed rates and more people owned their houses with a mortgage. So it's a, you know, the, the Bank of England has is, is, is got one tool and it's and the tool is slightly blunted compared with what it used to be. But actually the government has multiple levers when, and especially when its number one priority is to halve inflation by year end. Should the government be doing more with fiscal policy to control inflation? Well, I don't know if you um, remember the talk about monetary, modern monetary theory uh, being quite popular when Bernie Sanders was running for the president as his, as his chief advisor um, in the US. Stephanie Kelton was a big advocate of modern monetary theory. But that whole premise is that if you get inflation, you don't raise rates, you raise taxes. 
Mm -hmm. um, and so if the government wanted to squeeze the economy, it could be raising taxes. Now, it could be saying, you know, income taxes have to rise. We're, we're going to make life hard for people just at the point as it, you know prices go up and life's already getting hard. But that would that would definitely help to uh, to take demand out of the economy and to push down uh, cons consumer spending and you know, but so there are there are tools there. Uh, there's other tools. There's a, I think there's a story coming out shortly about options that the that the uh, government can use. But they're all horrible. They're all politically unpalatable. Um, and it's much easier to say this is entirely the Bank of England's responsibility. Which, to be fair, the Bank of England has been set, you know, given independence precisely so it does take full responsibility for this um, this kind of uh, situation where. You have to do unpopular things. Um, so, so I mean, the the, uh, you know, the the government has does have a, a bunch of a small bunch of options. All of them are pretty horrible, and you know, they clearly don't want to use them. Yeah, politically, it feels kind of convenient for Rishi Sunak that all of the anger on the front pages is going to Andrew Bailey, and if he resigned, yeah, the... he wouldn't get that. <laughs> Well, yes, I mean, yeah, he's a lightning rod for, for you know, public um, uh, opinion. Um, it's actually, it, it's, it's, it's a perverse outcome of Bank of England independence, because obviously Bank of England independence was established so that you can remove politics from the interest rate setting process, for, from the process of getting inflation, on, keeping inflation under control. But <clears throat> what's happening now is that the politicians desperately want interest rates to go up and inflation to come down, which is exactly what the Bank of England is doing. And that, um, so they would both be operating in much the same way. What independence has provided is provided uh, the politicians uh, a scapegoat. Uh, so the Bank of England is now uh, quite a handy way of distracting attention from uh, what the uh, uh, from what needs to be done in the economy. And the, and the politicians kind of wash their hands of that the responsibility for this so so it's a it's it's not it's not exactly uh it was supposed to be you know a, a a useful system of making of removing politics from the whole inflation interest rate setting process it's it's also proving to be a useful mechanism for removing um sort of bad uh, consequences from from the politicians yeah, fascinating stuff. Uh, Phil Aldrich, our senior UK economy reporter, thanks very much. So the politicians might be worried, but what do economists make of Britain's inflation crisis? Andrew Sentence served on the Bank of England's Monetary Policy Committee from 2006 to 2011, and he's now a senior advisor to Cambridge Econometrics. And we spoke with him earlier. He says the central bank has made the right call, but it should have taken action sooner. I think it was the right thing to do. We can't go back and change history with hindsight or even with foresight from some of us, the bank should have started raising interest rates earlier in 2021 and should have pushed them up more quickly in the early phase. And that might have put us in a better position now in terms of getting down inflation. But that hasn't happened. And so the challenge for the bank was to restore some credibility around its interest rate policy. And I think a quarter point rise might have been seen as too timid and too cautious. So I think a half a point rise, taking interest rates up to 5%, was probably the right thing to do. So does this open the door to another 50 in August? No, I don't think we should take that, uh, draw that conclusion. I think various options are possible for August, but one option could be 
just to take stock. Um, it depends on what happens to the economic data. And the economic data on inflation has been pretty disappointing in the UK over the last few weeks with high wage growth um, and indeed accelerating wage growth, um, high underlying inflation, core inflation up, services inflation up quite sharply. And therefore, it was a good idea to have a, a bolder and more decisive move at this meeting. But the MPC takes each meeting uh, as it comes along. And um, I think we'll just have to see how the data looks in the run-up to the August meeting. Do, does, but, the market, uh, does the market pricing of, of a 6% peak rate by the end of the year seem right to you, given what we know at the moment? I think that's jumping the gun a bit. We, you know, that would be a further one percentage point rise. I would certainly expect um, interest rates to go up a little bit more. But whether they go up as high as 6%, I think is going to depend very much on the economic data. And we could find that the recent flow of data has been, you know, due to sort of special factors. And if the downward trend in inflation um, and in core inflation and in wages and in service sector inflation begins to assert itself, then that will be positive news for the MPC. We heard again from Andrew Bailey yesterday about this idea of we cannot continue to have the current level of wage increases, can't continue to see companies seeking to rebuild profit margins. That's been an unpopular message when he's communicated it before. Is he simply just telling the hard truths? Well, I think it's always difficult um, for senior bank officials and the governor to get into what I might call the microeconomics of bringing down inflation. Inflation comes down when there's downward pressure on prices and wages. And the question of which goes first is partly, you know, similar to the question of what came first, the chicken or the egg. He, I think he, he made those comments in, also in the context of, of wages. But um, he needs to be careful about appearing to preach to either businesses or workers about what they should do in a sort of microeconomic sense. His concern is with the macroeconomy and the overall rate of inflation. Um, and therefore, I think he should be focusing in his comments on the link between the what's actually happening to inflation and then uh, the actions that the bank will take. In other words, to do a sort of slight reverse Mar Mario Draghi to say we will do what it takes to bring down inflation. Looking at the front page of the newspapers today, they're all very critical of the Bank of England. Thinking back to your own time on, on the MPC, how do you deal with that level of public criticism? Well, I think um, much of the criticism is justified, but it's justified on the basis of actually quite a, a long period in which the bank has made some, in my view, some quite crucial mistakes. I think the first mistake was uh, to leave interest rates at such a low level throughout the 2010s and not to make a more serious attempt when the economy was growing quite reasonably in 2013, 2014, 2015, to bring interest rates up as they did in the United States. The second mistake was to pump too much money in uh, during the pandemic, particularly through quantitative easing, and I don't think that was justified. And then the third mistake was to 
not bring quantitative easing to an end when inflationary pressures were building and not to push up interest rates sooner in 2021. So in terms of policy judgments, there have been quite a few missteps by the Bank of England and the MPC. I don't think this should be personalised around Andrew Bailey. He's, a, he's certainly a very significant figure. He chairs the MPC. I would have liked to see have seen more dissenting voices in a hawkish direction on the MPC as the inflation surge started to get underway. So I think all the MPC members need to look at their record and uh, perhaps take stock of whether they've really taken the challenge of rising inflation seriously enough. Finally, Andrew, this is, you say, a crisis for monetary policy, but Rishi Sunak's made it his number one priority to halve inflation by the end of the year. Does he need to do more fiscally to cut inflation? No, I don't, I don't think fiscal policy needs to be used very proactively to cut inflation. Obviously, the government needs to avoid own goals and avoid doing things that will push up the rate of inflation and where they can do helpful things that will keep down business costs and keep down any contributions that they could make directly or indirectly to inflation. But I think actually I would prefer it if the government was more vocal in in its statements about inflation along the lines that it's really the Bank of England's responsibility. Rishi Sunak and Jeremy Hunt talk as if somehow single-handedly they are going to bring inflation down and it's really the Bank of England's responsibility. And fiscal policy and other measures the government might take have a, a sort of mildly supporting role. And also the government, as, as it did yesterday, needs to play a supportive role if the, if the Bank of England has to take difficult and unpopular decisions. That's Andrew Sentence, the former Monetary Policy Committee member at the Bank of England, now Senior Advisor to Cambridge Econometrics. So we heard his view there on what the government should do. Let's hear now from the Prime Minister Rishi Sunak responding to yesterday's Bank of England decision. It's right that the Bank of England takes uh, strong action to bring inflation down. They've got a target to get it back down to 2%. It's right that they deliver on that because ultimately it is the best thing for the country. So that was the Prime Minister and I went outside the Bank of England after the decision to catch the Shadow Chancellor, Rachel Reeves, and ask her what Labour would do. One of your predecessors, John MacDonald, wants a windfall tax on banks to fund extra help for mortgage holders. Uh, Would you support that? I don't support that. What I want to do is ensure that practical support comes to people who are struggling with their mortgage payments. And that is why the priority for me is the instruction that I would issue as Chancellor to the Financial Conduct Authority to ensure that all banks uh, give people these options of interest-only mortgages, extended terms, and also that when someone comes forward and asks for help, it doesn't affect their credit rating. Those are some of the practical things that could be done right now to help people who are struggling with those higher mortgages. So that is the Shadow Chancellor, Rachel Reeves, speaking there to Lizzie yesterday. Uh, let's bring in Bloomberg's Alex Wickham now, uh, one of our, of course, our politics team, someone who has always has the inside scoop on what things are going on inside government as well. Um, Alex, you've been writing about not just one thing going wrong for Rishi Sunak, but perhaps everything everywhere all at once. Are you talking down Britain in this? <laughs> yeah, no, that is... The situation, I'm afraid, in the UK at the minute, it is all sort of going in the wrong direction for Rishi Sunak and the UK economy, whether it's on 
growth, you know, anemic, potentially heading to a recession, whether it's on inflation, marginal, whether he hits that target of halving it this year now, when it had been seen as a, you know, dead cert at the beginning of the year, all the way through to national tech going up, NHS waiting lists at a record-breaking level, and the promise to stop the small boats crossings, well, they're going up as well as as the warm weather uh, continues in June. So unfortunately for Rishi Sunak and unfortunately for the wider British public, it's all going in the wrong direction at the moment. Is it starting to look like a strategic error to have promised so much, even if maybe they were the things that people wanted to be done when he made these priorities? I think it's a really interesting question. I mean, Rishi Sunak would argue, look, I'm trying to be upfront. I'm trying to set some tangible targets and give you something to judge me by, well, people will judge him by how he's getting on and that won't be favourable at the moment. It's really interesting to see in the next few months whether Rishi Sunak maybe pivots away from, from these pledges as as some of them especially become unattainable. Um, does he answer the calls of Conservative MPs who say they want something a bit more radical, a bit more adventurous, a bit more of of an offer to the British public? Or does he just double down and say, look, you know, I'm I'm trying my best sort of thing, which is which is what he did uh, this week. It's a a really tough strategic question because they've backed themselves into a corner now on these five pledges. Some of the rhetoric that Sunak used when these pledges seemed more attainable about, you know, hold me to account, you know, I'm personally responsible for the, for, the, for what happens. Well, you know, ultimately, he could end up being defined by failure on his own terms, which would be ahead of a general election year next year, a, a political disaster for him. Can the Prime Minister afford to wait and see before he has to either decide to backtrack or to just double down on these pledges? This is a question that Conservative MPs are asking now, and they're certainly, I think in the last week or two, becoming very depressed about the situation because the longer Rishi Sunak goes on, it's almost like the fewer levers he has left to pull. And it is pretty unclear now what Rishi Sunak can do to try to get inflation down. Uh, it was arguably out of his control anyway, with the, you know, the Bank of England ultimately being in charge of interest rates and very few other options available to him. You know, this is why, and certainly on things like small boats, you know, he can't, he can't control the weather, um, which, which is obviously a big factor in whether the crossings take place. So lots of these things are out of his control. Yeah. That's so the you know, again the the sort of political nous in in picking them as his targets is debatable, um, but yeah, I mean the, there will there are voices already from Conservative MPs saying, look, this isn't working. Look at what's happening to the poll numbers. Look at what's happening on your on your own on your own scorecard of of how you're doing. You need to change. But the question is, what can he change to? You know, tax cuts was the was what number 10 wanted to do as the sort of big, uh, you know, offer to the public that that when the economy was going a bit better, when inflation was down, they could come out and say, right, we're going to take a couple of P off off income tax. Well, that's now not possible, uh, certainly for the foreseeable future with 
the public finance is in a poor state and inflation still high. So he's he's backed into a corner with very few options. And that is why you've got this sort of depression in the Conservative Party at the moment. Yeah, we've just been talking about tax rises, going Bernie Sanders to control inflation. One thing, Alex, he could do, surely, is call an election before the recession hits. Does the rates path and the way inflation's going change the timing at all for when you see an election? There is an increasing thought among Conservative MPs and some in the government that, you know, there may well be a recession middle of next year. We need to get out ahead of that. Perhaps there's a sweet spot where inflation does fall at the end of this year. Things do feel slightly better for voters, but before a recession hits, before job losses have, have come into play. I think personally that that still seems unlikely because, you know, ultimately it is very hard to convince Conservative MPs to vote for an election, which is what must happen for an election to take place, um, with the opinion polls where they are. You know, the opinion polls have widened in the last few weeks. Labour, you know, moving out towards a 20-point lead on average now. And it is just inconceivable that Conservative MPs would be happy to go for an early election if that's still the case. And certainly nothing appears on the horizon imminently to, to, to really change that opinion poll rating, given everything that's happened in British politics and the economy in the last couple of weeks. How are Labour planning to capitalise on this, uh, given the kind of unfortunate trajectory we seem to be on when it comes to these five pledges? Well, it's, it's really interesting with Labour because there's sort of two ways of looking at it. On the one hand, Keir Starmer, you know, you could say he's a very lucky Labour leader because his opponents have blown themselves up politically and arguably wrecked the economy. And that puts him in quite a good position politically to win the election. You know, almost by default, he can just point at the Tories and go, look at what happened with Boris Johnson, Liz Truss and now Rishi Sunak. You don't want these guys again. Vote, vote for me. So he's lucky in that sense. But then he is also quite unlucky because if he does win the election, he, he is inheriting, you know, an absolute nightmare in terms of public finances, in terms of, you know, potentially still worryingly high interest rates. And he wants to have an ambitious programme of, of change and you know, borrowing £28 billion a year eventually to to pay for green transition and all these sorts of, you know, big ideas that that he, relatively ambitious ideas that he has to to transform the economy and transform Britain and put his mark on the country. And there is this sort of creeping realisation that's hit Labour recently, which is, well, when we actually get our hands at the wheel, if they do win the election, how much of the stuff that they want to do are they actually going to be able to do? And how much of it will it just be fixing the, the mess they inherit? And, you know, there is not a great deal of difference at the minute between Labour and the Conservatives' position on inflation and in interest rates, you know, and mortgages. Basically, both parties agree that inflation is the, it, it, the overarching goal should be for to try to get inflation to come down. And that means paying for, for mortgage holders without fiscal support from the government, both parties pretty much agree that. So you're kind of left in a bit of a situation where potentially after the election, Labour is unable to do some of the things it wanted to do and, you know, not much changes, which is 
perhaps a little bit of a depressing view for the next sort of five years as, as well as the next sort of couple of years. So given some voters might see through that, is there any way that Sunak can claw it back? Does he have party support, especially on mortgage help, on waiting lists? Are the party behind him? I mean, the party is stuck with him realistically at this point. It, it seems unfeasible for them to change leader again after changing leaders uh, twice in the in the in the last couple of or last year alone. Um, it, it seems very likely that Sunak will still be in charge at the election. Is there a way back? You can never say never. I mean, that is one thing we've learned from the last sort of five, six, seven years of British politics since Brexit, really. You can never say never. You know, there is a way. And Tory strategists, the most optimistic Tory strategists, do seem to just about still believe that there is a way through where, you know, the government, the Conservative Party convinces enough middle-class voters in the South who traditionally vote Tory but are now flirting with the Liberal Democrats, convinces them that, you know, Labour will put your taxes up even more than the Conservatives have done. And, you know, your your personal finances, the public finances will be under strain from from further Labour borrowing, as the Conservatives put it. There is a way that, that the Conservatives could avoid electoral disaster and and it is you know potentially through making that message the question though it does seem to be shifting from you know is there any way the conservatives can salvage a small win um, or you know have a hung parliament where the tories can maintain some power the last hopes of that do start to feel like they're being extinguished and it's now a little bit more of a question of mitigating defeat and, and how bad it is for the Tories. Alex Wickham, our senior government reporter, thanks so much for joining us with all of that. I'm glad you mentioned it because none of us had to, but it is also, of course, the seventh anniversary of the Brexit referendum and we managed to get through nearly the whole programme without saying it. That's it from us for today. If you like the show, don't forget to subscribe. Give it five stars so other people can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or wherever you listen. This episode was produced by James Wilcock and our audio engineer was Marufa Hussain. I'm Lizzie Burden. And I'm Stephen Carroll. We'll be back with more on Monday. This is Bloomberg. Bloomberg UK Politics. Listen weekdays at noon on DAB Digital Radio in London. Hi, I'm Ron Krzyzewski, Chairman and CEO of Stiefel. Financial advisors, let's face it, if you're not growing your practice, you're losing market share. Stiefel is a growing, entrepreneurial, advisor-centric firm built for successful advisors like you. There's a reason why 148 financial advisors joined Stiefel last year. Come join us and find out why Stiefel is the firm where success meets success. Visit www.choosestifel.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.